Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. This series of messages is based on Kevin's best-selling book, Restoration Theology, available in paperback, hardback, and ebook formats from Amazon in your region, and also as a PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Well, we have tonight and then one more session on Restoration Theology, and uh, we do trust that it's uh, been of help to you all. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, here we are again in your wonderful presence. And uh, we just come with a spirit of prayer, a spirit of worship, a spirit of adoration as we uh, come to share in your word. We depend upon your blessed Holy Spirit who is the teacher and the anointing that abides within. Pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will help us tonight in uh, all that we share. Enlarge our spiritual uh, uh, capacity, Father, to receive of your tremendous uh, plan for the church in these days, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want you to turn uh, to your notes here, and we want to turn to the first scripture that we have. And I'd like you to uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'd just like to read... um, verses 15 and 16, and I'm reading from uh, New Authorised here. So Paul writing to his son Timothy, he says, But if I am delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So just make a a note of that. The church, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground. I think some of the other translations bring out the pillar and ground or support and stay of the truth. So the church, the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now let's turn back to uh, uh, one Old Testament scripture here, Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, and just uh, two or three verses here. And uh, verses 1 through to 4, Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through to 4. All right, Isaiah chapter uh, 26 and verses 1 through to 4. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah... Have a strong city, salvation would God, will God appoint for ball, walls and bulwarks. Open you the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord uh, Jehovah is everlasting strength, or margin has rock of ages. Now, let's just uh, pick up very briefly where we left off last week. Last week, we particularly took up the, uh, the theme of renewing our vision of Christ's church. And in our first few moments, we spent uh, a little bit of time on defining what uh, we meant by the church. And uh, some uh, people seem to misunderstand what I was saying last week, that we're not talking about changing church names or anything like that. We're talking that the church is not a material building. Everybody said, Amen. 
and that the church was not only particularly denominational, it was not denominational. If the apostles came back today, they would really uh, be a little bit confused and say, is this the church that Christ was talking about uh, when they would see so many denominational names? And we saw it was not an extension of Jude- uh, Judaism. And then we uh, went into what the, church is, uh, what the church is, and without spending too much time on our review here, saw that the word ecclesia or ecclesia uh, actually was the called out ones, called out from their homes and gathering together, assembling together to listen to and act for God. And as I said last week, I had very strong convictions over the last number of years that we need to reclaim the word church and what it really means. How many can say amen to what we talked about last week? Then we looked at the parable of the kingdom, just the progressive revelation of the church and the kingdom. Uh, first the blade in the gospel, then the ear in the book of Acts, then the full corn in the, in the epistles. Then we looked at uh, uh, ten particular things, what I call seed words of what Christ said about the church. And uh, we'll refer to that in due time. We looked at the fivefold purpose of the church's existence and try to get a little bit of alliteration here. Ministry to the Lord, worship, ministry to the saints, fellowship, uh, ministry to the lost world, discipleship, uh, ministry of conquering Satan and hosts. Try to get some alliteration there on warship. The church is not a, uh, a cruise, it's a warship. Uh, ministering guardian of the truth, the faith wants to live with the saints. We finished up on the... Um, the, the whole thought that the church was given the faith, and just to remind you here, and I hope I communicated that well, that uh, in, in, the, uh, in the New Testament we have a number of references here about a great company of priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, the disciples must continue in the faith. Uh, Galatians 3, before the faith came, we were under the law. Paul speaks about those who made shipwreck of the faith, and Paul tells how he'd uh, kept the faith, and then how the Holy Spirit spoke uh, the, uh, expressly that in the last days there would be those who would depart from the faith. Uh, so when we use the word faith, just reading off my notes here, that uh, the, word, the faith is used as an all-inclusive word, and then that this was sort of a corporate word, but within the faith there were a number of truths that the Lord gave to the church. And so we talked about uh, the list uh, that you've got on your sheet from last week, revelation of the Godhead, doctrine of Christ, ministry of the Holy Spirit, redemptive work of Christ, uh, first principles of doctrine of Christ, the Lord's table, priesthood of all believers. And uh, we listed about 24 different truths there. So what I was trying to get across, and hopefully I did, was that within the faith, once and for deliver the saints' corporate word, there were many, many truths that the Lord gave to the church. How many uh, sort of got the, what I was trying to communicate? Can you just sort of give me an indication? All right, so the faith, once deliver the saints, is an all-inclusive word, but within the faith, once deliver the saints, there were many, many truths. And so the church, as Paul says, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And as we uh, worked through last week, very briefly, we saw that the Lord Jesus Christ is the word of truth, full of grace and truth. Truth, pardon me. Then when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came as the spirit of truth. And in the New Testament, all the books that we have in the New Testament, each of the distinctive epistles and so forth, having their distinctive truth and truths, that the church actually becomes the pillar and ground of support and stay of the truth. You're not going to find too much truth out in the world. 
You should find it in the church. I mean, you can say amen to that. So the truths, so within the faith are all these distinctive truths that the Lord gave to the church. And I wanted to finish up on this, but I'll say it now. What Christ's vision was of his church should become our vision. How many can say amen to that? His vision should become our vision. So as we looked at 10 particular points last week, this is what the Lord said. This is my vision of what the church is going to be. So his vision must become our vision. Any other vision must be subservient to his vision. Because his vision of his church should be our vision. And I think we can all say a hearty amen, amen to that. Now in the final scripture that I read there, Isaiah chapter uh, 26 here, uh, using some of the old, uh, older editions, some of the new, new editions don't quite this bring out. Open ye the gates of the righteous nation which keepeth the truths, uh, old marginal references you'll find if you've got very old, old Bibles. So open ye the gates of the righteous nation. The only righteous nation on the face of the earth today is the church called to be a holy nation. So he says, open you the gates of the righteous nation, which keepeth the truths. So the church is entrusted with the truths that are enwrapped in the face of so the, the righteous nation, which keepeth the truths. May in mean, some of the uh, later translations said keeping faith or keeping faithfulness, if we bring those two words together, the faith and the truths in the faith once deliver the saints. All right, so on our first thing there, the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, theme that we want to look at tonight is the church departure and decline. Now, under the next uh, major uh, caption you have there, the church and the gates of hell. In Matthew chapter 16, with the things that the Lord said about the church was that uh, one of the things there he said, he's going to build his church, it would be a church against which the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I want you to sort of think with me, um, after the Lord uh, declared this word, did I do that? Okay, after the Lord declared this word, upon this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What do you think was going on in the underworld? Now, this is just uh, my imagination. I have a reasonably good one. So, this is what I think went on in the underworld. The devil called all the angels together and all these demons... He says, okay, we want to have a council, hell's council here, council. And uh, as all the fallen angels that are not bound, a lot of them still loose, and the millions of demons got together in that council, I can imagine the devil saying to them, now listen here, you guys. I'd rather say that of the devil than us. Did you hear that? I I even hate to mention his name. But did you hear what that uh, Jesus Christ said? No, what did he say? Well, listen to what he said. He said he's going to build his church. Did you hear that? Angels, demons, shudder. And do you know what else he said about that church? What else did he say? (laughs) I wasn't there. I'm just, you know. He says he's going to build his church. And you know what type of church it's going to be? 
He said, it's going to be a church built on a foundation. And he said, it's going to be a church against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, are you demons listening? You angels that fell with me up in there, way back in eternity. Are you listening? And then he said that this church he's going to build is going to have the keys of the kingdom. And you know what that means? Do you know what it means? You dirty demons. You fallen angels. You're going to go swimming in the lake. Lake of fire. Do you know what that means? It means that this church, whatever it is, is going to go around. And and you know what he said? It's going to go into all the world. Now all you demons and angels had to look after in the Old Testament, which hasn't quite completely yet. You only had one nation to handle, Israel. But now this church, that it just makes me stutter to even mention his name, this Jesus Christ. See, he's going to build, he told them to go into all nations. Just leave it there. That's uh, maybe prophetic of the great falling away. <laughs> Forget it. So, restoration. yeah, Restoration. So this is going to go in all nations. He's going to go make disciples of all nations. And that means if we let this thing called the church go, it means they're going to rescue people out of our kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness. They're going to get them saved. The word makes me even stutter to say it. And he's going to get them into the kingdom, his kingdom. And you know what else he said? He said... He talked about something about this church is going to have a binding ministry. I mean, just the very word makes me shudder. Because I, I know Revelation hasn't been written yet, but I think it says about me being bound for a thousand years in the BP. Not the gas station, the bottomless pit. So, <laughs> so I hope you guys have been listening to that. So what I want you fellas to do you fallen angels and you demons, get to work. And I want you to attack this thing, the church. Because I hate this thing, the church, as much as I hate the head of the church. And I hate to even mention his name, Jesus Christ. How many think that went on? Because it did. Because it did. So, let's go to the next thing. That was, if you took any notes down on that, that was supposed to be the devil in council, hell's council, in the realm of the spirit. Now, the next thing we want you to look at very briefly here, trying to do one, two, three, four, five chapters tonight, is this thing about the ground of faith and or unbelief. And if you're writing down, I'd like, you to, like to encourage you to put in uh, one little side here, one which is representative ground, and ground on the other side, and then we got this snake, this serpent in between. And so, I want you to put in one little part there, what I call the ground of faith and obedience. Ground of faith and obedience. Then in the middle, I want you to put the church and the serpent, So you can think of Revelation chapter 12 without getting into any of that. The serpent standing before the woman. 
Just as the serpent stood before the woman in the Garden of Eden, so the church and the serpent. Then on the other side, which would be your right side, put the ground of unbelief and disobedience. Ground of unbelief and disobedience. Now, let me just explain what I mean by this. Because I, I hope you picked up the thought, you know, I mean, I wasn't down there with the devil or anything like that, but I believe that's what went on, as we're going to see. So Christ has gone back to heaven. He started to build his church. Holy Spirit's been outpoured. And so Satan had his counsel with the fallen angels, demons. He says, okay, this is the job. We've got to attack the church. Now we're going to see in a moment here six major areas of attack or what Satan's plan of attack was against the church. But I want to talk about this ground of faith uh, and obedience on one side and ground of uh, unbelief and disobedience on the, on the other side. Now, let me just tell a, a case story here. A number of years ago when we were in Portland, Oregon, uh, a, a particular lady came from another uh, denomination, I won't say which, just out of... Uh, Minister of Courtesy here, and uh, she wanted my wife and I to pray for her for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So um, as we were talking there in the uh, lounge there, uh, talked on and on, and I personally felt she didn't have any faith, and I felt I had twice that much. Uh, we both didn't feel any faith, so I thought, ah, oh, something wrong here. So started to talk to her and said, okay, tell us uh, what particular fellowship you come from or church you come from, and she told us. And I said, well, does your minister believe in these uh, things, you know, baptism, Holy Spirit, speaking tongues, gifts of the Spirit, healing, and so forth? So, oh, no, in fact, Sunday after Sunday, he preaches against these things. So the whole, the whole thing hit me that here you are on the ground of unbelief. And, and this is a frightening thing to say. How many of you know that you can use the Word of God to create faith, or you can use it to create unbelief? See, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Unbelief comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of man. And a classic I like to use, particularly when I'm on this area, uh, quite a lot because it's a good illustration, is when I was younger and a new convert, I, I was what I call an unbelieving believer. So... These are the type of things I was taught. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, is not for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, not for today. That's on communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, gifts of the Spirit, not for today. 1 Corinthians 13, love, that's for today. 1 Corinthians 14, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, not for today. 1 Corinthians 16, concerning the collection of the saints, that's for today because there's money in it. So I have to sort of put in my Bible, not for today, 1 Corinthians 11, not for today, 1 Corinthians 12, for today, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, not for today, 1 Corinthians 16, for today, there's money in it. So the Word of God was used to create unbelief. Now, I believe in Jesus. If I had died, I would have gone to heaven, maybe slammed the pearly gates on my heel. But, but, so I was what I call an unbelieving believer. So we said... Uh, uh, to this lady, listen, what you need to do is get off of the ground of unbelief and come over to the ground of faith. And as you sit under ministry that uh, will preach the word of God as it is, then that word will create faith. Faith comes, word comes is actually in italics, I like to supply another word there. Faith is created by hearing the word and hearing the word of God. So how many are glad tonight that we are on the ground of faith in Waverly here? 
Now, we haven't got it all. We're not saying that by any means. But we are on the ground of faith. We're looking to the Lord. We believe God's word. We believe God wants us to have these things. How many can say amen? So, so we said to this lady, you've got to get off of the ground of faith, unbelief, uh, onto the ground of faith. And uh, so sort of left it that. I'm not sure what happened eventually and never did see you again. But so many of God's people are on the ground of unbelief. Need to get off of that onto the ground of faith. So here's the serpent standing before the woman like in the Garden of Eden. He wants to get her off of the ground of faith and obedience to the word over into the ground of unbelief and disobedience. As he does in Revelation chapter 12, the serpent standing before the woman. Only difference is the woman in the Garden of Eden was, was deceived. This woman will not be deceived because she's the bride of Christ, the true church. So let's see. So, so it's like that. The devil says, okay, I've got to attack this church. Now, let's put down six areas of attack. You can fill in here. Satan's strategy, warfare strategy, his plan of attack. Number one, He's going to attack the church as the body of Christ. Now, as I said before, he hates the head, and therefore he hates the body. So he's going to attack the church as the body of Christ, and this includes leadership and membership. So I've already sort of given you an idea what went on in that council there. At fallen angels, demon spirits, you've got to attack the church, the body of Christ. Attack the leadership, attack the membership. Number two, second area of attack is, I want you to attack its unity. So you fill in, attack its unity, and what is Satan's attack on unity? Always divide and conquer. So divide and conquer. That prayer that that, uh, Jesus prayed, that they all might be one, that the world might believe, I want you to divide and conquer the church. Attack it with sex and denomination. Denominations, divide and conquer. Number three, the third area of attack is I want you to attack, the devil's talking to his demons, I want you to attack the church's purity, holiness, get rid of holiness, bring in worldliness, Number of years ago, someone gave me this little tract. It's too long to read, but uh, it's entitled Church Walking with the World. And, 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 and so, so I'm trying to be as honest with you as I can on these things. How, how many know that uh, in a lot of cases, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world? All a lot of Christians have done is, is add Jesus Christ to their bag. But they still carry on to do the same things as they did. Let me just read you one verse of this. It's called... The the church walking with the world. The church and the world walked far apart on the changing shores of time. The world was singing a giddy song and the church a hymn sublime. Come give me your hand, cried the merry world, and walk with me this way. But the good church hid her snowy hand and solemnly answered, Nay, I will not give you my hand at all and I will not walk with you. Your way is the way of endless death your words are all untrue. And then it goes on how gradually the world got hold of the church. Third verse, a little bit of it. Half shyly the church approached the world and gave him her hand of snow. 
the old world grasped it and walked along, saying in accents low, Your dress is too simple to please my taste. I will give you pearls to wear, rich velvets and silks for your graceful form, and diamonds to deck your hair. The church looked down at her plain white robes and then at the dazzling world and blushed as she saw his handsome lip with a smile, a mile, contemptuous curled. I will change my dress for a costlier one, said the church with a smile of grace. Then her pure white garments drifted away and the world gave in their place. Beautiful satins and shining silks. And then it goes on. Your preachers are too old and plain, said the gay old world with a sneer. They frighten my children with dreadful tales, which I do not like them to hear. They talk of brimstone and fire and pain and the horrors of endless night. They talk of a place that should not be mentioned to ears polite. Then it goes on how the ministry changed and what happened. Until at the end, you could not tell the difference between the church and the world because they have now joined hands to each other. Very challenging poem. How many hear what I'm saying? Yeah, so attack the church. It's purity, holiness. Number four, the fourth area of attack was attack the church's power. If we had time to go into this, do you think what happened to Samson as Delilah and how significant that Samson had seven locks of hair? His his long hair was the symbol of uh, consecration, not hippie rebellion. So seven locks, uh, he paid the price of a haircut. So, stripped of his power, that's what I'm saying. Number, number five, another area of attack was attack the church, what we're talking about here tonight, in the faith and the truths. So attack the faith by... What Paul said, in the last days the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. The faith, once the Lord says, departure from the faith and its truths. By getting it off of the ground of faith and obedience to the ground of unbelief. And the sixth area of attack was attack the church in its obedience to the word. You don't have to do what the Bible says. You don't have to do what the Word says. That's old-fashioned. So, six areas of attack. Now, I want you to turn over quickly as time goes on here. Even before the, uh, the New Testament had uh, been completed, there were apostolic warnings of this coming departure, what was going to happen in the church, because the Holy Spirit warned Acts chapter 20, 20 These scriptures are on your notes there. Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 to 35. I'm just going to quote a little bit of it. Paul calls uh, the elders of the church of Ephesus, told them how he had served the Lord with humility of mind. But then he warns them and he says, what's going to happen? He says, take heed in verse 28, therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Why? Because I know this, that after my departure, grievous or savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, not only will there be grievous wolves coming from without, but there will be elders who will will arise from within. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. So Paul warns on. Second Peter. Peter 
as, uh, as he writes, he warns them in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse, two, uh, verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who secretly will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow the destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I've already quoted, the Spirit speaks expressly, specifically that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And then Jude, uh, which we, we've already quoted, but let me refer to Jude. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful, it was necessary for me uh, to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints, for certain men have crept in unnoticed or unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, all kinds of lusts, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ uh, who bought them. I think I may have used this illustration for, but the whole thought here is that uh, Jude is saying, I want you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints because there's certain men who have crept in unawares, unnoticed, crept in, uh, uh, the, whole, the whole Greek thought is creeping in sideways. And uh, as I said, this illustration I've used now and then, that how many have ever seen crabs walk? Uh, have you ever seen a crab walk straight? <laughs> I've never seen, you know, I did hear about this guy who went to the cafe and he asked him, did they serve crabs? He said, we serve anybody here. But um, uh, crabs, they always sort of, you know, come in sideways with their eyes on you like this, you know, bulbous. And that's what Jude is saying. Certain men have crept in sideways like a bunch of crabs, bringing in damnable heresies. So even the apostles warned way back there, even before the New Testament was completed. Now let's go down to our next section here. Departure and decline. Let me just quote these scriptures because of time. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 14, and Isaiah is lamenting this in his time. He laments the fact, and I'll just give you a brief quote here, truth is fallen in the streets. So that's your brief quote, truth is fallen in the street. So all these areas of attack, attack the body of Christ, attack its purity, attack its power, attack its faith and its truths, attack its obedience. Get it off of the ground of faith and obedience, over onto the ground of unbelief and disobedience. So Isaiah 59 verse 14, truth is fallen in the streets. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 12, on your notes, Daniel 8 and verse 12 uh, Daniel has a vision of this little horn who cast down the truth to the ground and stamped upon the stars. So you can think of the significance of that without me explaining it. But cast down the truth. So truth is fallen in the streets, cast down the truth to the ground. Romans 1.18, an NIV or uh, a new authorized, Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against those who hold the truth, or literally that word hold is, literally they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So truth fallen in the streets, cast down to the ground of uh, uh, Mary Jones and her Bible. 
Wow, we've got a whole Bible here. I want you to turn over now to the next page for a moment. Now, as we see this whole attack on the church of the body of Christ, its unity, its purity, its power, its faith, its truths, and obedience to the word, in this diagram we see the departure and decline, and you've got a bit of fill in here, so let's uh, start moving in. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of truth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the early church, the pillar and ground of truth, the faith wants to live with the saints. So now, as we see the periods of decline, and these are approximate dates, so... Uh, you can just start filling in here. All right. The early church, great period of signs and wonders, and just a, a powerful church. As the church was born on the day of Pentecost and what we see in the book of Acts. In AD about 100, we find the apostle John dies, and he's the last of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The distinctive 12, only called the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Not, not a post-ascension apostle, last of the living apostles. And with that, something apostolic dies. AD 130, we find that the ministry of the laying of hands degenerated into a ritual powerless thing, laying empty hands on empty heads. AD 140, the prophetic ministry began to fade, so the prophetic touch of the Holy Spirit began to disappear from the church. AD 150, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptism with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So here's the enemy doing all that he told in the councils of hell with the fallen angels of demonic spiritual warfare, gates of hell, not going to prevail against, we're going to attack the church in every possible way. AD 160, plurality of eldership was attacked so that we had the rise of the monarch bishop, where it's a one-man band, and he takes control. So that gradually disappears from the church. AD 180, local church autonomy, where the churches were locally governed. There were no denominations there. There was relationship, not denominational. Gradually that was taken as more power started to go to, uh, to uh, Rome. AD 100, 187, water baptism by immersion. That was stopped and sprinkling. We had the first case of sprinkling instead of immersion. That was attacked. Uh, AD 200, the priesthood of all believers. Another truth that was attacked. And so gradually, uh, I wish we had time to go in what happened in the early church and the decline, how pulpits were introduced pews were introduced, the priesthood of all believers, choirs, the whole thing was so taken away what from the New Testament church was. AD 210. Am I going too fast? The answers are on the overhead there, on the PowerPoint, the presentation. The name in water baptism. And this is interesting. It was Pope Stephen who actually made all baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ invalid and enforced that you must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit only. Up till this time, it had always been in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. People just need to read church history. AD 225. Creedal belief became the gateway for membership. As long as you could say, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in God Almighty, I can, you know, do the Apostles' Creed, I believe, well, you're a member. 
without any new birth, without being born again. AD 240, monasticism crept in, uh, worldliness as well. So on one side you have worldliness, the church and the world being married together, pergamos, which means marriage, and monasticism. In fact, I have on my notes here you might like to take down. Uh, under the attack of Satan, well, we'll do that later on. I'll say it and then come back to it. It would be by persecution or by isolation or infiltration. We'll come back to that in a moment. In AD 300, we have justification by work. So the foundation of our salvation, justification by faith, that's being attacked. AD 313, Christianity was made the state religion under Constantine. And whether Constantine was ever genuinely, genuinely saved or not, uh, only eternity is going to be re uh, revealed that. But it became the state religion. So all this issue that we've had uh, through the Western world on separation of church and state, you can see where a lot of it goes back to. AD 350, whole legalistic lifestyle along that came externalism, ceremonialism, and rules and regulations. Just need to read church history on that. AD 380, Rome became the final authority. And so all the churches were head up in uh, papal Rome, make a distinction between pagan Rome and papal Rome. One is religious, one is political. Uh, political. AD 392, we have forced heathen worship. And, and people were, on the pain of death, forced to come to church, what was called the church, and forced to worship Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they were suffered persecution by the so-called church at that time. AD 400, baptism by immersion and baptism altogether became totally unimportant. AD 484, we had the clergy and laity so the priesthood of all believers is taken away, and so we have the clergy and all that started with that whole business there of separation and the big gap between pulpit and pew. In fact, at that time, the churches were exempted from ta taxation all under that reign. So what I'm saying here is that you can see how the enemy has just been attacking the church line upon line, here a little, there a little, all the way through to bring the church into what has been called the Dark Ages. Now, let's go back to your other page for a moment. I know I've moved through that quickly. We can leave that on, uh, on, the, on the overhead here. Let's go to the next part here. And I want you to look at the church in the Middle Ages. The church in the Middle Ages. Now, the Middle Ages has been called the period of the Dark Ages. I want you to go over to a scripture that's not there. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Everybody doing all right there? This is an advanced class. And I know that you're glad I've got two eyes and two ears, but one mouth. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 3, real good principle here. The church dark ages. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, just a couple of verses here. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Eli, a corrupt priest. Failure to discipline his sons. A real picture of the dark ages. And the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. There was no open vision. There was no widespread revelation. The Bible was a forbidden book came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim physically and spiritually that he could not see. 
The physical was symbolic of the spiritual blindness on the priesthood. What happened? And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. I said all that to say this. God has never, ever let the light go totally out. He, in Samuel's time, is a corrupt priesthood. He's got corrupt sons. What does Spurgeon call them? Priests in God's sanctuary, but sons of Belial at the tabernacle door as they lay with the women and polluted the sacrifice. But before the lamp of God went out, God called. God has never let the lamp go out. He never leaves himself without witness. And that's what we start to see in this period of time. God's going to call. Number two, second thing, Martin Luther fitly called this, the church's Babylonian captivity. Babylon, as we know, means confusion. And what characterized Babylon was mother and child doctrine. Hope you're listening to what I'm saying. Mother and child doctrine and idolatry. And at this period of time, you'll find that the Babylonian priesthood that had moved from Pergamos, where Satan's seat was, now to Rome, that one of the bishops of Rome, one of the popes of Rome, actually merged the Babylonian priesthood with the Roman Catholic priesthood, and it became a fitting thing. Much more could be said on that. The church's Babylonian captivity. Number three, it became the age of mixture of truth and error, mixture. I want you to turn over, I know I'm moving quickly, but I have to. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13.33. It should be 13.33, not uh, 12. Matthew 13.33. Matthew 13.33. All right, Matthew chapter 13.33. In, uh, in uh, this chapter, we have seven or eight kingdom of heaven parables. Already used one last week. I want to use another one here, uh, just before in our brief time that we have. Matthew thirteen thirty three, and we're told in this verse um, another parable spake he unto them: Kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now. In, uh, in interpreting any parable, first thing you have to do is take the symbols and use what we call hermeneutically the symbolic principle. And once you interpret the symbols, you can interpret the parable. You cannot interpret the parable without interpreting the symbols. Now, there's three major symbols here I want you to listen. First of all, we have the woman. And it's significant that this parable is the middle of the seven parables. Woman in the middle. And I'm thinking of the church of the Middle Ages and of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The middle one had a woman in the broad in false doctrine. So a woman. And the second thing here we have is the meal. Three, not two, not four, three measures of meal. And the number three, leaven. Now, this woman, and a woman represents a church, either true or false, what does she do? She takes leaven or yeast as a more modern word is, but the word leaven, and takes this yeast, this leaven, and just hides it. What's she doing? Hiding it. Because in Leviticus chapter 2, if you can write fast Leviticus chapter 2, the meal offering 
was not to have any leaven in it. It was forbidden on pain of death. So this woman is hiding. Now, it's not the gospel because we don't hide the gospel. If the, if the gospel be hid, it's hid from them that are lost, Paul says. So we don't hide that. Now, she takes the leaven and puts it in the pure meal. And she just leaves it to do its work. And leaven or yeast just works silently, subtly, secretly, gradually influencing the whole. That's what happened. In the textbook, and there's no way I can do this, I have 51 things. I hold it up because I know you can't see it, but you can see it. And on one side I've got what happened to the pure meal of God's word and the corrupting leaven that came in. So in the pure meal of heaven and hell, I'll just do some of them. The corrupting leaven of purgatory. The pure meal of the headship of Christ and over the church was leavened by the supreme pontiff, the pope. The pure meal of the virgin birth of Christ was corrupted by the corrupting leaven of the immaculate conception. Instead of repentance from dead works, we have penance and dead works. Instead of forgiveness of sin by the blood, we have absolution. Instead of prayer to God through Christ, we have prayers to Mary, the saints of rosary. Instead of justification by faith, justification by works. Instead of the new birth, we have baptism and regeneration. Instead of baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have uh, confirmation by the bishops. Instead of anointing of oil for the sick, we have last rites, extreme unction. Instead of communion on the Lord's table, we have transubstantiation. Instead of gifts and tongues interpretation, we have Latin and no interpretation. As someone said, Latin is a language dead as dead could be. First it killed the Romans, now it's killing me. Um, <laughs> have you got all this down? Are you taking this down? Instead of uh, singing spontaneous praise, we had the Gregorian chant. Instead of hymns of praise to God, we have incense, bells, bells, and nonsense incense. Uh, instead of prayers for the living, we've got prayers for the dead. I'm trying to skip them. Instead of um, faith in God through Christ, we have superstitious beliefs. Instead of uh, uh, the mediatorial ministry of Christ, we have Mary, who's the mother of God. And she's the mediatrix. Christ is the head. Mary's the neck. And uh, Mary, the neck turns the head, unless it's a stiff one. It's, Instead of the authority of the scriptures, we have the tradition and authority of the church. Instead of the rock foundation, we have Peter. Instead of Christ coming from the east, we have priests turning to the east. Oh, what else could I do? Instead of marriage or celibacy, we have celibacy for the priests. Instead of the empty cross and the empty tomb, we have the crucifix. Instead of the scriptures for all believers, the Bible is locked up just for the priesthood because you Dumb people cannot interpret it. Not here. Instead of the infallibility of the Bible, we have the Bible, we have infallibility of the Pope. And instead of the Old and New Testament books only, we have the apocryphal books and ad infinitum. So let me finish on this because that time. Put down these three words. The devil's approach has been perse uh, uh, persecution or opposition, beat them. But, as one of the early church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So, the early church, the attack was persecution, opposition, through the book of Acts. Then the devil took another attack. Well, if we can't beat them, we'll isolate them. So, we get into isolation, monasticism. We've got to protect the scriptures from the ordinary people. So, we have the Middle Ages church. The worst one is number three, and that is infiltration. And the devil's motto is, if you can't beat them, join, join them. If you can't conquer them, 
corrupt them. And that's exactly what's happened in the church. And saints, I don't think, unless you've studied a bit of church history, I don't think we realise how much leaven we've still got in. And what the reformers wanted to do was get us back to the pure meal of God's word. How many can say amen tonight? I want you to turn to one more scripture I have a minute and a half. I want you to turn to G. No, it's not G. Your last, uh, last section on your notes. Let's turn over to Joel chapter 2. Everybody with me? Uh, Joel chapter 2 as we wind up here. And I'm glad for the prophecy of Joel as we looked at the prophets in our first couple of sessions. So what does Joel say in uh, Joel chapter 2 and verse 18? Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. As the, church, as the Lord looked on the church in the dark ages, the devil thought he'd conquered. That that's the end of the church. We've got to offer the ground of faith and obedience under the ground of unbelief and disobedience. We've robbed the church of all these truths now. We've just about conquered the church and made it a religio-political system. We've done it. Thank you, angels. Thank you, demons. And God says, hey, I've got the last say. It's in here. The Lord will answer and say to you, I'm going to send you corn and wine and oil. I'm going to drive out the northern arm. I'm going to drive out Satan and his hosts. So in verse 23, Be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. He's given you the former rain moderately and he'll cause to come down for you the rain. Former rain, the latter rain, the first month. The floors will be full of wheat, not tares. Fats will overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore. I think that's worth a hallelujah. I will restore to you to the years. The locusts, the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army, which I set among you. And you'll eat in plenty, you'll not be ashamed, and it will come to pass afterwards. After what? After I restore to the church all that has been lost over these years, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So saints, you and I are living in the most exciting time. We are living still in days of restoration. And God says, everything that's been lost over those years into the church's Babylon captivity, age of mixture, and everything like that, and infiltration, I'm going to restore to you what's been lost. Hallelujah. Everybody said hallelujah. Let's all stand. Our time's up. Why don't we join our hands across the auditorium just before you have to go and pick up your parents. Pick up your children. Yeah, the ch before the children pick up their parents. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh, Father, we're just so excited to be living in these days, Lord, of restoration. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that uh, what we've been sharing, it gives us such a sense of destiny. Because you're going to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You heard all that the devil and all his fallen angels and all the demonic hosts, what they said about your body, your church. And God, you're going to undo that thing. And we are living in days of restoration, Lord. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, restore to your church the things that we, we thank you for what we've got, Lord, but there's still so much we've got to get back. May we go to the enemy's camp and take that back, that which was stolen from us. That and more. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and everybody said amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.